Let's look at this verse together again. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This challenge to fix our eyes got me thinking about I'm not really sure how. I'm trying to still figure out why the connection was made. But got me thinking about how dog owners look like their pets. You know, now according to the Bark Post, I love that name, the Bark Post, it says that dog owners are often uh, accused of making connections that don't exist. But when it comes to making the connection that dogs physically resemble their owners, there's actually science that backs it up. Something we've known for some time, but check it out. Now, now actually, there is one exception. Um, That's my dog, Daisy. I I don't think I look a thing like her. (laughs) Oh, okay, maybe maybe we should move on. All right, now, now take a look at this. These guys, this is from Caesar Cuisine. You can't call it dog food. It's Caesar Cuisine. You definitely see how you've got the owner and then their, their dog right next to them. You could really pick it out. Now, now check, out this, uh, check out this next one. This little infant owner there. And that's too. He's like, that is great. All right, now look at, this, look at this next one. Now that's trouble. This looks like trouble. Now, this next one is definitely trouble with a capital T. You got Dachshund Dog and Snoop Dog. Now, these next two, I'd have to say, are my favorite. Take a look. Oh, it's just, oh no. Isn't that perfect? Just both of them are just are super. But this last one, this last one, I'm sorry, it's just downright crazy. Dog owners should not strive to dress like their dogs. I'm sorry. And besides, that's just the wrong shade of blue for her. So, no, but actually the science, this is what the science says. See, I thought perhaps when we have our animals that we get so fixed, that we spend so much time with them, that we start, we transform and look like them. But the science actually says that subconsciously we kind of, go towards the familiar. So we actually pick animals that look like us. But transformation is exactly what happens through the power of the Holy Spirit when we stop conforming to the pattern of this world but are transformed through renewing of our minds by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Which means praying like He did as Brian talked about last week and today by intentionally pursuing community like Jesus did. We celebrated this three weeks ago on Christmas when Jesus, the Son of God, coming down from heaven, placing himself among us and entering the world as a baby like the rest of us. Now John tells the Christmas story this way in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Referring to Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then in the first part of verse 14, the Word Jesus became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The word here for dwelling literally means 
to pitch a tent. So Jesus pinched a tent among us. Now, I rather like how the message version puts it. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That sounds so intimate, so close. That Jesus, as God in the flesh, wanted to be with us, not just one of us, with us, among us. Jesus moved into the neighborhood of humanity and shared life with us. In spite of the fact, and perhaps you've experienced this, that life sometimes is so daily. Day after day after day. And for nearly 30 years before Jesus started his ministry, he experienced all the ordinary ups and downs that life has to offer. Now, perhaps you've heard this before. It's a poem called One Solitary Life. This is about Jesus. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where Jesus worked in a carpenter shop. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never went to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. Those centuries have come and gone. No other person or institution has affected humanity as powerfully as that one solitary life. I like that poem. I like that poem a lot, with one exception. The solitary life part. Jesus didn't live in some fortress of solitude. He intentionally pursued community with people. Even while seeking and saving the lost, Jesus pursued community in the process. Like the time recorded in John chapter 1, when Jesus invited two of his would-be disciples to come and see. They were following Jesus, and in verse 38, it says, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. I read that too often people pursue their goals to the detriment of relationships. But relationships with people was Jesus' goal in seeking and saving the lost. John 3.22 says, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. I read that spending time with can actually carry the idea of getting under the skin of or to rub off on. That tells us the kind of interactions Jesus had with his disciples. They must have either spent so much time together that they started to get on each other's nerves or that Jesus had enough time to start rubbing off 
on his disciples. I recently learned that actually for a period of 18 months, Jesus spent time with his disciples before going out preaching and performing miracles. During this 18 months, Jesus did perform only two miracles, the changing of water into wine and healing the nobleman's son. Other than that, nearly half of his ministry was spent investing in a few disciples. We're not even to the point yet of the 12 disciples whom he designated apostles. As I understand it, Jesus spent time with his starting few, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and then later pursued community with the rest of the other disciples so they'd become more than followers but eventually co-laborers, and then still later on he calls them friends, whom he would send out with the purpose of making other disciples, making disciples. We see evidence that this was time well spent, so to speak, that Jesus indeed rubbed off on the disciples because years later it was said by Jesus' enemies when they noticed something familiar about Jesus' disciples, Acts 4.13 says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. See, an underlining hope in the series called Fixed is that I don't know whether you look like your dog or not or your pet that you've got at home. But my hope is that the more and more that you are fixed on Jesus, the more and more time you spend with Him and that He can rub off on you, that when people look at you, they see Jesus. That they mistake you for Jesus. Christ-centered community is so incredibly powerful. It's incredibly important. So one of the takeaways today is this. Who are the few, who are the few that you are intentionally pursuing community with so they can be more like Jesus? Perhaps with that that blank sermon note page next to you, take the pen that you were given hopefully when you came in Write that down as a question for you to ask yourself later. Who, who are the few that you are pursuing intentional community with so that they can be more like Jesus? Who are the few that you are discipling? As we strive to walk, to live as Jesus did yourself, as you are becoming saltier and more full of light, Since Jesus called us to be salt and light, who are the few that you're intentionally coming in contact with on a regular basis because intentional community, it takes time. So that's the first takeaway. Who are the few that you are pursuing intentional community with so they can become more like Jesus after spending time with you? That's not all. 
because we mustn't get the wrong idea that Jesus pursued or that we should only pursue community for, as you could say, ministry purposes. We see that Jesus intentionally pursued community because, I guess you could say, he needed it. Take, for example, Jesus' relationship with Martha, her sister Mary, and their brother Lazarus. Although they are first mentioned in Luke 10.38, you might notice that their candidness with each other conveys the idea that they've been friends for some time before this. Listen to verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This, this interchange, this, this talking back and forth, that's how friends talk to each other. I can't imagine that Martha meeting Jesus for the very first time would have approached him like this. Now, whether or not they were friends before this, their friendship definitely grew into the godly kind of agape, unconditional love that happens especially in community. So much so that when Lazarus was sick, Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And in John chapter 11, verse 5, it says that Jesus loved. Again, that's the agape love. Jesus loved Martha and her sister in Lazarus. And then verse 20, it says, When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. And as I read, again, see the, the relationship that's there, the relationship that had to be there before this instance. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit troubled 
Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that you may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. The frankness and raw emotion in these verses speak to me that it just shows the depth of the relationship that Jesus had with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. The type of relationship that they had with one another. Community like this doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. And you have to be intentional at pursuing it. And with Jesus' time on earth about to end with his death, burial, and resurrection, just days away, we see Mary seizing the opportunity to express her love and gratitude to Jesus. John 12.1 says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. The Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, if you start to worsen somebody in your small group, you need another small group. We're only to worship God. But we see here a picture, though, of Mary's devotion. She does such a beautiful thing in worshiping God. So this passage might not exactly fit with what we're talking about. But partly, I think it does reveal something about the devotion, about the love, about the gratitude for one another that can develop in community if given the chance. Perhaps from this we can uh, take away that intentional community in Jesus' name can result in deeper relationships with each other and a more vibrant relationship with Jesus, His Holy Spirit, and the worship of God. So the second takeaway is this. Who are you intentionally pursuing community with that you benefit from? We, all, we are always to be investing in other people, but we also need people to invest in us. What community are you intentionally pursuing where you can get fed, where you can be ministered to? Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I know. I know that it is difficult. 
it is difficult getting up on Sunday morning. It is incredibly difficult to get your family together, get your tasks in order, help your, get your brain to calm down and not think about what you're doing for lunch, what you're doing, what, what you've got to do on Monday, and to come here and worship. And I, and I know that coming out to church on Sunday, it, it, it is a struggle. I understand that. A lot of it, I think, has to do with saying that he wants to throw those roadblocks in in your way because he doesn't want you to spend time together. But all of the things and all the benefits that we've talked about, about intentional community with each other, cannot happen one hour a week on Sunday. It's getting together in smaller groups. We call them growth groups here. It's intentionally pursuing relationship with a few people. Investing in others, but intentionally pursuing community with other people, with other believers who invest in you. I learned a lesson a hard way. I would have to say that most of my ministry, most of my 19 years of ministry, I did not intentionally pursue community. I'd say part of the reasons, because when you are in Bible college, they tell you, don't trust the person that picks you up at the airport. It's kind of funny, but that's what they used to tell ministers. You know, that... that and ministers talk about they, they, they had they talk about how it's difficult to be transparent and to be real with people, partly because the people might realize, wow, they're just like me. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that is true, you know. And uh, and so it, it's a struggle. And every time we preach, we are preaching right back at us. Every time we preach on a subject, we are struggling with it throughout the weeks, the week before, and perhaps the week. After it's funny how it how it works that way, but I did not pursue community, and when I was in Michigan, I almost had some disastrous results personally because I wasn't intentional about seeking community with other people. It probably wasn't until year seven of my years nine years in Michigan that I got intentional about it. I have to share with you about 10 years ago, I was actually attended Centerpoint when, when you were in Metathorpe Elementary. I was in a transition of ministry, and my wife and I and our family got to be a part of a, uh, of a growth group. And then later on, nine months later, God had us move, sent us, uh, moved to uh, Michigan to, to uh, do ministry there. And leaving that small group, that I got to experience for the very first time was one of the hardest things about moving. Growth groups are incredible. I need my growth group. I get fed in my growth group. And more times than not, I strive to be myself. I strive to be like Lane, you see me here, I'll Hopefully, I'll be the same at Walmart or wherever you, you know, wherever you see me. I strive to be who I am is, is who I am. But in my growth group, I know that I'm, I'm, I don't have much more hair uh, up here. But in my growth group, I can really kind of put my hair down. 
and that I worked and all that I can, can share with, with my growth group. And we need that. We need each other. Don't buy people who say, all you need is Jesus. Because if you think back to the book, of, the book of Genesis, after God created the world, each day he would look back and go, it is good. Then God created mankind and he says it is very good. But then something wasn't good after God created Adam. God said, it is not good for man to be alone. We need more than Jesus. Also, something that took me a while to learn is that we need more than our wives or our husbands. Becky, who's sitting there with my son Max, today is a big day in our, uh, in our relationship. 22 years ago today, we kissed for the very first time. We celebrate that. Woo! And 20, years, 20 years ago today, she said yes, that she would, uh, would marry me. And, and so that's a big day. Now, Becky's my best friend. I mean, it's just she, she is my best friend. But that is a lot of pressure that I put on her in a bulk of our married life together that she was it. <laughs> we need more and if this is resonating with you I'd love to talk to you more because I learned it the hard way and it wasn't pretty and yeah almost disastrous results because I wasn't pursuing community with other people I was investing. I was investing tons in other people, but I wasn't intentionally pursuing community with people who could invest in me. Listen to this Hebrews 10.24 again and pick out the one another's in your mind. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. First John 2.6 says that if we claim to live in Him, we must walk as Jesus did. Scripture says that we are to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength, and to love thy neighbor as yourself. And I don't know why I went back to the King James Version there. It's kind of funny when you memorize Scripture that it, that it stays with you what you memorize it. But we are to love God and love each other. But we are being disobedient if we're not involved in a community where we can do all the one another's that we are supposed to be doing because we can't do it one hour a week on Sunday morning. Listen to all the one another's that we are to do. If you want to write these down, you can. Of course, we are to love one another. John 13, 34. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. We are to accept one another. Romans 15, 7. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Admonish one another. It's not fun. 
Admonish means to caution, warn, call on the carpet. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. That's found in Colossians 3.16. We are to encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Be kind to one another. Ephesians 4.32 Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. We are to be completely humble and gentle. Ephesians 4.2 Be patient bearing with one another in love. We are to offer hospitality with, to one another. 1 Peter 4.9 offers hospitality to one another without grumbling. And I've got to mention, the, for me, the, the quintessential example of hospitality has to be Jeff and Jennifer Singleton who, who kind of lead the, the growth group that, that we're a part of. I, tell, I learned something just, be, just being there, just watching them and how they make you feel welcome. We are also to support one another. Galatians 6, 2, carry each other's burdens and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. In order for us to do all these one another's, we have to be intentional at pursuing community being part of a community. But understand that it takes time. You have to be intentional. You must spend time together. And when life throws all the numerous curveballs that it does, you are there and you can weather the storm together as your group. You can be kind and compassionate and accept each other and bear each other's burdens. So I'd have to say that really the application of today is that if you are not part of a small group or a really growth group yet, the table is out there and you can sign up today for a growth group. It is a, it's an important part in our life and that our spiritual life, from experience, our spiritual life is very hindered if you're not part of a group. So who are you investing in? I have to tell you that there are plenty of opportunities. As the family, as the family pastor here, I, I'm kind of responsible for kids through adults. It's really, it's all the amazing volunteers that, and minister leaders and youth leaders that, that take care of all that. But I know of plenty of opportunities for, for you to get involved, to invest in. Talk to me, lane at mycpoint.com. You can email me. We, we can talk. But also, you need to have the opportunity for people to invest in you. You need people. You need people. You need people to invest in you. Jesus needed community. He needed Mary and Martha and Lazarus who invested in, in him. You do too. Let's pray. God, you are wonderful. You are amazing. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that when we see your word and we kind of delve in and, and just realize that Jesus was human and we, we, we just learned so much from him. Dear God, I pray. I pray, Lord, that for any individuals here, Lord, that, uh, that need that community, Lord, that you make it happen. 
Father, I just anyone here that might have, feel that whole alone in a crowd type thing, feel like that no one understands. And dear God, I pray, Lord, that that individual, that person will sign up for a group and that they will find a, a home there, that they will find a loving, intentional community that they can be a part of and grow. Dear God, there's also another group here that, per, in our group, they probably pray to you, Lord, of saying, okay, Lord, what else? What can I do? Father, pray, Lord, that that person also gets connected with some, some kids, teens, adults that need someone to invest in them as well. Father, we love you and we thank you, God. We thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus Christ, and that he died for us and rose again so our sins could be forgiven and so that we could be saved, so that we could be with you. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.